So welcome to the seventh episode of the Joseph M. Leather podcast. Today I'm with Jesse from Texas, United States, who is the founder of Lost Penguin Leather. Founded in 2012, Lost Penguin aims to create usable leather goods. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for reaching out. I'm excited. Yeah, so am I. So you got you got you got back to me with a quick response, which was handy, and yeah, we set this up, so it's good. Well, I was I was glued to my phone that day because it was my Instagram was blowing up from yeah. the, from the Parker video. Yeah. And how did you um how well firstly like so what was did you get like more followers? Did you get more messages? What was sort of the reaction from that? Um. Well, like um. So I, I got the I got a message from Parker with stock and barrel. And he said, Hey man, I uh, just gave you a little shout out on a, my video I I just did on YouTube. If you want to check it out, here's the link. I was like, cool. And I was kind of thinking just like a short, quick mention. So I went and checked it out and then he did a really, really nice shout out to me and uh, four other makers that uh, he felt, deserved a little attention and um was just incredibly flattering anyways it was it was a nice produced video that he did and he showed a bunch of uh, screenshots in the video of my website and my instagram feed and all kinds of stuff and about the time i finished watching it i look at my instagram and the followers were like slowly rising (laughs) Not, I mean, not huge numbers, of course. I think uh, at last check, it, it gained me like, I think I was almost 300 yeah. followers, followers, which to me is a lot. Oh, yeah. You know, some, you know someone that's already got 10,000 or 20,000 followers, that's not, not much. But to me, it's, it's incredibly flattering. I've got, I've got a lot of new faces this, that I've been yeah. seeing and getting a few likes here and there, and it's, it's awesome. Yeah, no. Nah, and really, it's awesome to be kind of, mentioned alongside of the other four makers Mm. very flattering yeah (laughs) so so how how do you know parker and do do you have a reason why you think that he shouted you out specifically um no um i don't know him personally which like most most of us in this leather community it's all through uh, social media yeah i've been following Parker for a long time. I'm, I, I try to engage with him when I can on Instagram. Um, he he drops in on some of our live videos every so often, and he's he's real good about asking questions and interacting too. And we've we've kind of chatted back and forth, you know, comment back and forth on each other for the past, you know, couple two or three years or, or however long I've been following him. And I don't I don't know why he chose me. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I feel like. It, it was kind of, uh, I'm pretty modest for the most part. So yeah. um, it was really raised my spirits a lot that he, he recognized me because, you know, Parker does great work, great leather work. He, he does great content creation. And there are a ton of people that follow him and engage with him. And I just feel really fortunate that he was kind enough to do it. Yeah, you you brought, brought up a good point because... None of us know each other personally. Like, we've never seen each other in real life. And that's sort of the sad side to it, I think. Like, it's when I talk to people, it's like you get along with them so well, but you don't have that face to face connection, which is that's the downside. 
Yeah, it's just it's crazy to me. Like I'm, I have a pretty small circle as far as like people that I engage with, like in person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like friend circle, family circle, things like that. It was pretty small, and I'm I'm honestly really okay with that. <laughs> I'm not a super super sociable person, like here in real life. Yeah, but the the people and friends that I've made and a lot of people I can call really good friends that I've met through Instagram, other like-minded people, whether it's leather makers or engravers, uh, silversmiths, like all these things that I've really taken an interest in that these people I've met. And I, 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if somebody would have told me, Hey dude, you're coming up pretty soon. You're going to meet all these people on, on the internet and you're going to make all these friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like when you, when we're growing up, I don't, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm 35. Yeah. So I kind of grew up in the boom of the internet, you know, like I came up with like the chat rooms and like all that goofy stuff. It's like, never tell people your name. Yeah. Never meet <laughs> From the internet you know all these things and here i am sitting now where at least once a year i make a point to go meet these people that i met on the internet and yeah I've, i i they know who i am they see my picture you know yeah um but the, the community that's been built around it it's fascinating i mean yeah i know it's there's... it's so weird because like you can go out to you know you can go to a shop or anywhere in real life and everyone's sort of like awkward with each other and you get on the internet and everyone's just shares their life story it's yeah just, right right it's it's just fascinating yeah it's, it's it's that community thing that's that's been built up around it yeah and it's wild because in leather work i mean i can't speak so much for all trades but i know in leather work you know i've talked to some of these guys that are a little older than I am that have been doing leather work that run like maybe a saddle maker. You know, I've, I've heard Don Gonzalez mention it several times. Like when you're growing, when he was coming up, you couldn't just walk into somebody's saddle shop and say, Hey man, will you show me how to do this? Yeah. People weren't so easy with giving out information. Mm. And now there are so many people out there that are so willing to say, Oh yeah, well this is the tool that I use. This is the technique. This is how I do it. Um, go go check out so and so. They're my supplier. They they carry this product. Yes, it's an interesting thing because I've thought about that as well. Like why people would just be like, hey, this is how I do it. Copy it, and you can make things just as good as me or even better than me. And I was sort of thinking about it, and I think because the fact that you're sort of helping your business at the same time, so you're sort of getting that payment so to speak of people watching you following you so it's sort of like a it's still a bit of a transaction just not in cash form sure yeah yeah well it's it's networking yeah you know yeah. that you know that's what people in, in a business realm would call it you know 15 20 years ago you mm. go to conferences and you would network with people to make your connections i mean that's i mean that's what linkedin is right i mean that's yeah. It's the internet way of making networking like the professional networking site. But yeah, I mean, there's value in that because I know, you know, I've met people that I know if I'm, I get in a bind, I can call them and say, Hey man, can you come give me some help this weekend? Mm -hmm. One of my best friends now, I met him on Instagram. I was doing a live feed 
and he was a leather worker. He's like, we got the talking, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm from Wichita Falls. He said, really? I am too. <laughs> so we, we kind of just on the in this live feed I was doing, I'm, I, we kind of made that connection through that. And then at the time, uh, another friend of mine here locally that did woodwork, he and I were kind of putting together a group where it was like a maker's group that we were trying to get people that did different, you know, woodworkers or, or the leather workers or whoever we were meeting once a month, you know, we'd go to the local bar, you know, meet up and chat, you know, just talk shop. And, uh, so I had invited this guy. I was like, Hey, you're a local maker. You should come and come to find out. He lived two blocks from me. Wow. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, you know, that was a connection I probably would have never made. And now he spends almost as much time in my shop working with me and on his stuff as I do on my own stuff. Yeah. And and that's something that would have never happened without that that form of networking. Yeah. Yes, that's a that's great. So then how did you get into leather craft? Well, it's a funny one. Because um, you've been around since two thousand and twelve. That's a yeah, just compared to like us, like people have just started, you know, two and a half years ago. Well, hey, we can we'll go way back. Yeah. So, I grew up in a, a pretty small town. Uh, about three thousand people was our population. Very rural, rural Texas town. Um, and I, my uncle, owned a conditioning yard for cattle. So. I know y'all are big ranch, ranching. I know there's a lot of ranching in Australia, right? Yeah, probably. I'm more in the suburbs, so if we go, yeah, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's a difference. Hey, there's a huge difference between like urban and rural, like just the, and I guess that's sort of similar anywhere. But yeah, you're, yeah. you're right on that. Um, but yeah, let let me preface it too. Like if I've got bad slang, and when oh, I talk, right. so if, if there's anything that doesn't click with you. Let me know, and likewise, I'll let you know because yeah. I, I know there's a little bit of a, a wall yeah. there on some stuff. Yeah. Um, was, uh, my uncle owned a conditioning yard and a condi- is a conditioning yard and a feed store. Mm-hmm. So the feed store aspect was um, where you, you go buy the big like 50 pound bags of cattle feed or horse feed and things like that. But the conditioning yard aspect of it was he ran his own cattle there, but also. Um, if there's a, a big ranch close where they've got say a hundred head of cattle that they're about ready to take to sale, they'd bring them to him and he'd put them out in the, in the lots or in the pasture and they'd feed them out and then they'd load them and take them to sell for them. It's kind of, kind of like a middleman of sorts. Yeah. Um, or you could, you don't have time to work your own cattle to doctor them and do whatever work you need to. You could bring them to them and, and him and his his workers would or cowboys would work the cattle and do all that for you. And anyway, so when I was growing up, my dad would go help him on the weekends because it was my dad's brother. Well, on the weekends, when I was a kid, how much fun is that? He he'd load me up, and I'd go spend my weekends on horseback, just riding around playing cowboy and Indians while he went and worked and and did all that stuff. So I kind of grew up around like that cowboy Western lifestyle, like actually working cattle, 
you know, being on horseback and, and helping out where I could. And I think in doing that, I don't think I know. I mean, just seeing the work that was done, I grew to really appreciate where that leather came into play, right? Because, you know, almost the best tool of a, of a, a working cowboy is a saddle, right? Because if you don't have a comfortable saddle, you're going to be miserable on yeah. a horse all day long. Your horse is going to be miserable and disgruntled, and you're not going to be not going to be a good relationship there. So, I think early on, I, I, I gained a uh, appreciation for leather work, but as a tool, you know, a usable tool, something that that serves a purpose. And then, you know, not just with a saddle, but you know, your shaps or your leggings that the cowboy wears and. And so that kind of really planted that seed and then, you know, skip forward till I was about 14 years old and I, I decided being a cowboy wasn't cool anymore and I didn't want to do that anymore. So, you know, I left all that behind me and so say that, that ends about 14 years old and then we jump forward to, um, when I'm in college. So I, uh, I have a, a bachelor's degree from in uh, history is my major. And after I finished my bachelor's, I didn't know what to do. So I thought, hey, I'll get a master's degree. You know, why not? I can't find a job now. Let me get more education and see if I can use it then. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so when I was in grad school, I got kind of kind of uppity, an elitist of sorts. <laughs> and because uh I would wear my, I'd wear a suit yeah. jacket to, cause I, while in grad school, I worked for a professor as a teaching assistant or a graduate assistant. Yeah. So I, I would, I worked at the university for my professor and I would do like menial administrative tasks, you know, grade papers or log grades and attendance and things like that. And I felt fancy cause I had my own office. So I'd wear my suit and my tie to work every day, and and I got, I got some pretty expensive tastes while doing that. Yeah. And I thought I needed uh, a Louis Vuitton like the duffel bag, you know, like a carry-on size duffel. Yeah. Bag. I think it's the keep all or carry-all. I wanted one so bad, but I was a graduate assistant making hardly any money at all, you know, college student. And I thought, shoot, I can make one of those. Yeah. <laughs> How hard could it be? I think that's every single leather crafter when they yeah. start out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my mom's a really good seamstress. And yeah. so she and I sat down and kind of drew up some patterns and plans. And there's a, there's a big rodeo that happens here in Wichita Falls. And that, that's where I, I, I went to university was in Wichita Falls, uh, Midwestern State University. So I was living here, stayed here, obviously. But there also happens to be a big rodeo every year that happens here. And they have a, uh, a big trade show also that corresponds with the rodeo. So you have all these different vendors, mm-hmm. um, like Western lifestyle vendors, whether it's clothes or boots or hats or housewares, whatever. <laughs> And there was a leather supplier that was had a booth there, and they had all these tables of leather laid out. And I found the cheapest, junkiest 
side of chrome tan leather that that I had cash in my pocket for. And I, my mother, my mom and dad were with me at the show. You think we can make that bag out of this? And my mom's like, oh, yeah, we've got the plan. So I buy, buy the leather up. Yeah. We sat down with our, our pattern or whatever that we'd made. And that's when it kind of dawned on me, like, this is going to be a little harder than what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I got on eBay and bought, I found like this old lot of like leather working tools is what the title was. Right. Yeah. I didn't know what I needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't know what I was looking for, yeah. you know, I bought the chrome tan cause I didn't know what kind of, like, I didn't know the different kinds of leather and, uh, and the, the, in the lot that I bought on eBay, I think I gave like 20 bucks for it. It had two of like those speedy stitcher alls. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those things. It's so like the wood handle with the, the, the all blade. And then inside it's, it's got the spool where you, where you hand do a lock stitch. Wow. Anyway, so it had two of those and uh, a couple spools of hand stitching thread and like a ton of random needles. And yeah. I'm pretty sure most, of them were like material needles like but uh i mean that, i mean that's that's what did it I, I bought that side of leather and i was like ah this duffel bag is gonna be a lot of work what else can i make yeah so i made some other small leather items uh, you know all you know the phone slip i think that's kind of the first go-to for people now or, or then it was like make yeah. the phone slip you know a real simple little knife sheet and then I started researching it. YouTube will have a lot of stuff. I'll go to YouTube. Yeah. Well, in 2012, there was not a lot of how-to videos for leather work back then. Tandy had a handful, and they were real minimal, minimal videos. It was, this is how to use our antique. This is how to use our specific tool. This is, you know... So they weren't really in-depth videos, um, but there there were a few people out there that put out some decent ones. Um, Ian Atkinson. Yeah, yeah. That's, I was thinking that because when I got into leathercraft, I think it was like 2018. Like, what's Ian's videos? And they're from like 2009 onwards. So they were. Yeah, he was he was really early in on it. I, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, he was probably one of the first people on YouTube putting out quality videos. Yeah. And like very in-depth videos yeah. and they were very good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, he was on, he was one really one of the first ones that I saw on there and then kind of, he would, ex he did some videos like explaining different tools and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that helped a lot. And then another uh, gentleman, his name is Bruce Cheney. He's from Gainesville, Texas, which is about an hour and a half from where I am. He's an older gentleman, but he makes saddles and spurs and bits, like spurs and bits for horses. And he he was making videos. Like some same thing. They his weren't super in depth, but he was making videos, which was pretty pretty interesting because I mean, at that point, he, I mean, he was well in his sixties. So I'm watching him thinking, what is this old guy doing making YouTube videos? <laughs> but come to find out, he'd been making how-to videos for years. Like, you used to be able to buy the VHS set, like right. how to make a saddle that he had done for a long time. So he was 
he was ahead of the he was ahead of his times, you know, when he was doing that. Yeah. And uh, but all that to say that kind of just a little bit of research here and there kind of told me different things to be looking for and different tools that I might need. And also, uh, some people get not mad, but jokingly mad at me because I bought that leather, my first piece of leather in August or September of 2012. And I was doing my research and found there was this boot and saddle maker show, a vendor show. Well, that's cool. What's this all about? And I click on it, and it was in Wichita Falls. So here in the U.S., we have, there are like three or four big leather trade shows. Uh, one's in Prescott, Arizona. One's in Sheridan, Wyoming. Um, and then one in Wichita Falls, Texas. And then there's another one. I can't think of where it's at. It'll come to me. Yeah, of all but, places uh, as well. Right, yeah. So how lucky am I? that in my backyard there's this huge leather vendor show. Mm -hmm. So I go check it out and you know, it's all the big names, like all the tool makers, all the leather distributors, all the machine vendors are there. And I was just like in all, you know, like walking, touching everything, like picking up leather and bending it and like feeling it and yeah. asking them like, what kind, of, what kind of leather is this? What what do you call this? And what's this tool for? What's this tool for? So I really, I got very lucky that very early when I started, I had that resource very close to me that I was able to stumble upon and talk to a lot of very knowledgeable people and all the greatest tool makers and leather distributors, at least here in the U.S., are here. And where do I spend all my money? <laughs> Tandy. <laughs> Which, I'm not knocking Tandy. Tandy is, they, they are a great, a great resources for crafters and beginners, in my opinion. Um, I think that when you're starting out, they're the best place to go to get your tools. Because they do make them somewhat affordable for people to get in. And if you, depending on the store you go to, they normally have some pretty, pretty uh, knowledgeable people to help you out. But I mean, I got to give them kudos because they, I didn't have very much money then and I was able to spend it there and, and it, it's kicked me off. We're sitting here right now. Yeah. But um, yeah, that, that kind of got, got me kicked out. That, that was my first place that I bought um, vegetable tan leather, which all along, that's what I needed to be using this whole time, right? Like, that's my go-to. My go-to is veg tan. And, you know, like like most people, I just started piddling and making small accessory items, phone cases, or not just a holster or a belt or guitar strap. I really got a, a lot, uh, got my legs under me doing some guitar straps. Early on, I did a lot of guitar straps for people. And, um... But yeah, just trying to find my way, what I was doing and and where I kind of where my fit was. And it took me a while to kind of find that. Cause I mean, for up until I guess 2015, no, 2015 or 16, uh, every order I took was custom work. Yeah. Almost everything I would do would be custom work. 
And, you know, it was a hobby then. I was just basically taking whatever order I could take to make a little bit of money to buy my next side of leather and, you know, snowball that. And there we are. But I finally made that, uh, the tote or not the tote, but the, the duffel bag. Oh yeah. Yeah. About about a year later, I finally made that duffel bag and I spent way too much time doing it. And I'll never do another one. (laughs) At least, at least not the way I built that one. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. What what you say, some of the things like it just resonates with me because I remember finding like looking for my first tools you don't know what they do you just look at what they look like and just try and match what and and you find out like you got like the wrong pricking up like the stitching chisels the wrong yes yeah wrong size and and it made probably a little bit easier too for you on your end on that sizing because so much of that sizing is um, metric Right, you, y'all are on the metric. We're the only people on on. I don't even know what we call it. standard. What, what yeah, do they you call it? You guys in America have like y'all, y'all probably fa- Fahrenheit bar- and, 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 and ounces and. <laughs> but yeah, being on the metric system is probably a little easier to kind of in your head see the size versus yeah. me when I see like especially with the the pricking irons and stuff. A lot of that stuff is a little millimeter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm always having to get a ruler and like a converter to look up like, what's this size? What's it really? Okay. How's that work on my ruler yeah. back and forth? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I would have watched some of the video. I was watching Parker's video this, this morning. Cause I was, I was like, everyone, everyone's making these, the dope bags. Those, those, um, didn't those like, like the travel bag, the men's travel. Bag. Yeah. And I was like, everyone's making one. I might make one like in the future. So I was just seeing how they were made and, he was saying about how he scribes it down to three quarters of an inch or something. I don't know. He scribes it down to a third of an inch, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> Americans yeah. just use millimeters. <laughs> when I was in undergraduate, uh, working on my undergraduate, I did a study abroad pro- program through our university and spent what, four or five months in France. Yeah, and about that first month and a half, well, let's say the first month. I, it took me that long to start doing the math in my head for the exchange rate, the currency exchange yeah. rate. And then it still took me another month to, to get the metric in yeah. my head yeah. for, for everything, you know? Yeah. And then I never really got used to military time. We call it military time, the 24 hour. Do you use that? I don't. Okay. I don't use it. Yeah. But while we're in, while we're in France, everything ran off. Oh, really? Oh, I'm like, okay. yeah. It's pretty easy. You just go. You just go two, two back. Just add, yeah. I, I go. So if it's like seventeen hundred, you just minus two. So that's like six five yeah. five p.m. Um, oh, I can do it now in my head. It just took me a while. Yeah. Then. <laughs> I have the because I I understand like inches because. You know, when you're making belts, inches. I don't even know how much an inch is in a centimeter. Um, but yeah, like pricking irons, it's like nine spaces per inch. Like that makes sense. Yeah. Or people say like three millimeters or something like that. Um, I do have the leather down right on the American side of it, like the two to three ounce sort of three to four. But uh, do, do y'all does uh, uh, there is it figured in ounces or is it a measurement? 
Nah, yes, it's measurements. I remember when I, when I walked into a leather shop and I was like, oh, can I? Because this is when I was watching like videos and people were saying like three to four, four to five ounce. And I walked in and I was like, can I have like, I think I said like, I don't know, three to four ounce leather. And, he's, and the guy said to me, he's like, we're not American. <laughs> <laughs> well, that took me a long time. Actually, well, that's funny because when I started out, when I was trying to figure out the ounces, like to me, I'm thinking... Like a twelve ounce beer, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a sixteen ounce pint, right? Yeah. But uh, so, really, when I started out early, before I got a grasp of the ounce mm-hmm. system, that was one thing that I would I had found a, like a conversion online that would yeah. put it in millimeters or centimeters or, or even a, an inch or a de- decimal form. Yeah. So. That was helpful. Yeah. As far as that conversion goes. And it took me a long time to really get a grasp of the, yeah. the ounce because there really is, there's a lot of variability in it too. I found like if you go on Google, you type in like leather weights conversion and it has like a table and it has the one. But I remember Ian Atkinson, Atkinson on his website, he does like a, he has this sort of in depth guide to about leather, um, like leather thread width, width as well. Like, um, and yeah, in his little chart, I had the ounces to millimeters and all that sort of stuff. Because even, even thread width can be a pain. Because oh I, yeah, I use fillet schwa thread, which is that French thread, and you got like five three two, four three two, six three two, and it's like the 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 lower the number, the higher the the thread, the thicker the thread. So yeah, I had bought a. I was doing some watch straps a couple of years ago and I was trying to really make them really fine quality. So I bought the, the linen, the French linen threads and like I had to order one of the thread charts, wow, like okay. the sand charts, uh, from there's a, a dealer here, uh, RM leather supply. Rocky mountain. And yeah. Rocky mountain. Leather yeah, I, supply. I, I, I bought some leather from them. They're just, they're, I can't speak volumes of them like amazing delivery like quick straight to australia um yeah they're they're solid rocky mountain but yeah so that's who i'd gone through to order the thread and also before i ordered any of it i had to get it's like a sheet of paper basically yeah and it's got all the thread colors yeah and it's a piece of thread that that's like tied on there so you can actually put hands on it and feel and then also at the top it had the size chart yeah. Where it had different size threads on there, you know, correlating with the correct number. So I had to get one of those to even figure out what thread size I wanted to use. And then I had to figure out what size pricking irons I needed based on that thread yeah. size. That was a whole nother because so many different people say so many different things. So I kind of had to take all that and average it out to what yeah. what might work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, do you use fillet schwa thread? Do you use it today? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you say it a lot fancier than I do Filet in my Texan. Schwa. I call it Phil, Phil all chinos. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how I pronounced it when I first saw it. And then... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, I really like it. I, I've used it on a few items. I did a bunch of watch straps there for a while and yeah. some other like smaller, like fine leather goods. And that's what I would use. I, I like it. Yeah. It took a, it took a it, I had a little bit of a learning curve on it because... I was so used to using nylon thread, like the, yeah. the tiger thread and stuff like that, yeah. where I can just cut it, burn them, and be done. Yeah. But with the 
with that linen, you got to backstitch it really nice and pretty and knot it between the layers. And Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story because when I got into it, like, it was hard to find that thread. Like, that and tiger thread was... I, I remember tiger thread, like, it was just... To, to, to find it was, like, you had to either had to get it supplied to you or I don't know what the story was, but I remember early on I struggled to find some and there would be some Etsy people who would actually sell you like, a, I don't know how long, like 50 meters or a hundred meters worth of like the, the thread of the yeah. thread. And then, yeah, I found Rocky Mountain actually some supply the, the spools. Cause I know you can buy from the, the actual company, but their website it's quite hard to navigate through. Yeah. And yeah, when I saw Rocky Mountain had it, I bought some and yes, yeah, still got some today. It's yeah, I like I like the tiger thread. I, but see, I don't do a lot of hand stitching. Yeah. So one small spool of like the linen thread, the fill, the fill all chinos. <laughs> one one spool of that because I think my size is six thirty two that I use. Yes, that's like. I think that's right. It's pretty small. Yeah. I'll probably never use that whole spool for any of the three or four colors I got. And then same with the the tiger thread. I've got some of the smaller ones, and they'll last me forever just because I don't do a lot of hand stitching if I can get away with it. Yeah. Can you use those in the sewing machine, though, like the 632? No, I don't think so. Okay. Like the like the tiger thread and all that? Yeah, like the, the yeah, fill-on chinos. <laughs> the fill-on chinos? Uh I don't know. You know, maybe maybe it would work in like a I think it would depend on the application. Yeah. Because I know on my my big sewing machine, the tensions on it are pretty tight. Yeah. And I learned pretty quick with the the linen thread that if you pull too tight, it'll it'll snap pretty easy mm-hmm. on the small some of that smaller stuff that I use especially or was using. Yeah. So I I don't. I would think maybe like a smaller fabric machine, maybe yeah, could run those threads through there. I'm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not an expert on sewing machines because I just, I do all hand stitching and I did buy a fat fabric sewing machine. It was like a singer one with the handle on it because I was gonna yeah. make I was gonna make some pocket squares and uh, I'm just like lining up like all the like you have to put the needle down to make it go through to loop and then pull it out and then cut it. I was like, man, like, I, don't, I don't know how these guys just hand stitch is so much more simpler. <laughs> man, I'd say I'm just, I don't mind hand stitching. Yeah. But as It'd be so I much mean, quicker, I, like... Yeah, when I mean, when I started out, everything I hand stitched, everything. Yeah. And I got my first machine about six months after starting mm-hmm. because I hand stitched like two belts and two or three guitar straps. And I said, mm, Nope, yeah. <laughs> this is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I found there was somebody local that had a, a really good, I think it was $300, yeah. which was very expensive for me then just starting out for just a little hobby, you know, but I, I scrimped and saved for it and I bought it and, it's a great machine. I still have it. Um, I don't use it a whole lot anymore, but it was good for smaller items. Yeah. So when I was doing all those belts and guitar straps, it was excellent. But if I ever did anything over probably six ounces, 
I, I'd still have to hand hand stitch it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe probably a little thicker than six ounce. Maybe, well, maybe eight ounce yeah. was probably its limit. Yeah. So I mean, holsters and nice sheets and anything like sizable, I was still hand stitching, and it was another four years before I got my big Cobra machine. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that there's there's pros and cons to both of them because like if you hand stitch and you're doing a full bag, that's just going to be one expensive bag because of your... Yeah. And... Well, that, that's kind of something I ran into because I was... You know, there was a point that I was trying to make money. Yeah. And I was busy then. Like, you have to put a value on your time. Yeah. And I think that has to apply even if you're just looking at it as a hobby, right? Like... I'm, I'm married and I have a four year old. I can't, I have to be able to justify my time yeah. if I'm getting away from them, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, like you said, you hand stitch a bag, you're going to have to ask a, a lot of money for it. And when I was starting out to be able to make something like that, I didn't, I didn't have a market for that. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't convince anybody around here to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a hand stitch bag. I still can't. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, and I think I was thinking about this as well because, do you know how you were saying about you sort of get that elitist when you were working for that professor and all that sort of stuff? I feel like there is a danger of becoming elitist as a leather crafter because you know what good leather is. You know what good leather is. You know, like, what hand-stitching is. Like, you can fall into that elitist side of it. Like, I it's it's sort of similar with with shoemaking. I guess if you were, you know, one of those people that could afford, like, a bespoke shoe. Like, it's made to fit your... Like, the last is made for you. Everything's made for you. And you sort of look down, like, someone's buying, like, a... Still a reasonably good shoe. But it's just, you know, a fact to be produced through... So right. it's, it's sort of a... Well, you know, I, I saw something about that here not too long ago. Um, a bootmaker. Yeah. Uh, an individual made a comment because he was uh, hand-stitching his... the insoles or something. Yeah. Something to boot. I also am fascinated with shoemaking and bootmaking, but I'm not learn it in it enough to know the processes yeah. but whatever it, it, it was he was thing that he was doing he made a comment and said i'm gonna say it if you're not hand stitching this and you're doing it on a machine they're not handmade boots where on the other hand i know some custom handmade boot makers that make stellar work yeah and they're using they're, they use a machine to do that process so that's just that's another angle to look at it, kind of like that. Are they cheating? Are they not? Is it really handmade? Yeah. Is it not handmade? Yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't think there's a huge like. I know there is a difference between hand stitching and sewing and sewing machine. But you know, if you put to like if you put next to a hand stitch machine like in a sewing machine, like stitch, they would sort of last as long as each other. Like if you took good like as long as you're not you know trashing it up yeah, i think the tech when, if you get super technical about it yeah i mean a hand yeah. stitch up it is a stronger stitch yeah like the sack stitch is you can't beat it uh 
uh, machine stitch, the lock stitch. The issue with the lock stitch is if a top thread gets cut, it's going to come unraveled. Yeah. But on a saddle stitch, if a top stitch gets cut, you've still got back and forth through and through all the way down the item. You're still stitched all the way through. Yeah. So I don't think there's any doubt that a saddle stitch is, is stronger. But like you said, I mean, if it's constructed well for the lifetime of the item, or, or in more, most cases, the individual's lifetime, not the product's lifetime, mm. it's going to serve its purpose and you're not going to have any issue. Yeah. Um, I think it comes to the education part of it. Like as a leather maker, my job's not just to make a product, but it's also to educate people why maybe my product is more expensive than what you get at the retail store. Yeah. Right. Like we have to, as makers, you have to educate your consumer on why your items are better or why you think your items are better why they're better quality, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's where we are right now. You and I is we recognize we can look at other work and recognize what's done really well because we've learned to appreciate people's work and we know what goes into it. Like I wouldn't spend say $2,000 on a Louis Vuitton purse that was made in a factory. Mm-hmm. Let's say if I had two thousand dollars to spend on a uh, purse to begin with, but if I did and I was in the market for that, I would aim that money towards a maker who's going to be meticulously cutting those parts out by hand and hand stitching those parts and making it fully bespoke, like you said. Yeah. So a lot of it's the education, educating that consumer. It's sort of like how big your wallet is, how much time you want to be spent on an item um yeah yeah, it's it's a lot of factors yeah and i'm not knocking machine stitching either um yeah oh i recognize it i mean i I recognize that i could be doing a lot higher end work on items but i think there's another line to be drawn for for me for example is um i was doing a lot of custom work yeah having having fun being really creative and when i decided to change the direction of my business it's when my wife got pregnant because yeah. i knew things were going to get busy because i don't do this full time yeah i work a full-time 40 hour a week job wow, that's impressive during the week and i don't do leather work until my son goes to bed at night right and that may be 7 30 that may be 8 30 in the evening. So I don't go out to the shop until my son's in bed and I try to put, you know, two, three, maybe four hours in a night in the shop. And I knew that the, a lot was going to change when my son was born, that if I was going to continue putting money into my hobby or craft, it was going to have to, I was going to have to justify doing it. Yeah. And the justification was to make money, obviously. I mean, it's, I do love doing it, but at the end of the day, you got to make money on it to continue it. Yeah. And that's when I changed over from making custom stuff that for me, and like I've said, I like making custom items, but 
it takes more time. You got a lot more time into it. The design, making patterns for it, the just the time sitting on your phone chatting back and forth with a customer before you even start anything to make sure you you you're both on the same track. And then the time building it. And most of the time for me, I was always under quoting it. I wasn't charging yeah. nearly enough time. And I realized that I needed to create a product, an inventory to sell. It would be a lot easier for me to market something like that because I can schedule my time around things like that. Yeah. For example, the totes that I make, I know how long it takes me to make those. So I can set aside specific amount of times to do that. And it, it really just, for me now, it really comes down to uh, the routine and scheduling and time management for what I do. Uh-huh. And that, I mean, even since then, that has transitioned a lot to what I do now. I mean, a majority of what I do now is private label stuff and it's wholesale. Oh, yeah. It's a, a private label. So uh, here in town, we have a couple uh, stores, uh, different brands. Yeah. And they will provide me with the design, the artwork, and I build it for them. Okay. And it's it's tech, it's their product. I'm essentially the manufacturer for it. Yeah. So, so keychains is what we've done a lot of in the past year and made eight or 9,000 keychains in 2020. Wow. <laughs> but you know, I've got, I've got the, the clicker die, the, the die cutters. They send me a PDF with the artwork. I get a custom stamp made. We do it. And it's, it's menial work. I mean, making 50 of the same thing or a hundred of the same thing or a thousand, you know, it, it, it loses its, its luster but it it's work that gets done that makes a dollar at the end of the day. Yeah. But the silver lining of that is my leather work as a as on the business end has become a lot more profitable doing that kind of work. And also I can schedule my time around that so so much more precisely that I'm allowed I can allow myself X amount of time a week or a month to work on a custom item. Yeah. So when I get to work on the fun stuff and yeah. doing that, I can accept custom work as I, as I feel like it. I don't feel pressured that I have to take every order that somebody wants to place. I can be selective and you know, if something piques my interest, I can say, Ooh, yeah, that sounds fun. We'll make that. Mm-hmm. And then normally those, those are the projects that a couple weeks into it, I'm like, why did I do this? Yeah. <laughs> no, you hit some heaps, hit some good points there. Oh, yeah, with um, I'm not sure with you know with Australian slang. If you say nah, it means yes. <laughs> nah. Yeah. So if you say like um, yeah, nah, like if you get the yeah and it's a no. I don't know. So I don't even know. You say. <laughs> You know, is, is so if I say nah, I'm not saying no. If I say nah, I'm not saying like what you said is bad. It's like I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like an indifferent no. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, like no, like, no, no, no. That's like like no. I don't disagree with you. I just also think this. Yeah, it's because because I was listening back to a podcast that I had that, and I was saying like. <laughs> 
no, yeah, it was something like that. And I was like, if someone was listening to it, it would sound like I'm disagreeing with the person, but I'm, yeah, it's just, I think it's just us slang. Okay, yeah, we're good. <laughs> so, no, you, so, no, you hit on a good, yeah, so, Australian, <laughs> it makes sense, but probably for a foreigner, it just... No, no, I think I do the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you hit on some good points there, like, when when you sort of spoke about the custom order, that is oh, so true with me because I've had custom orders before and I like doing them, but that's all, it's all good. Don't stress. <laughs> um, I like doing them, but yeah, it takes a long time to do the pattern, find the leather. You know, this is the first time you're making a product ever. So you have to try and get on the first go or, you know, you have that very minimal margin for error um and yeah sort of the the time you spend into it and you you end, you end up you know underpricing it because you know the, the person will run away if you <laughs> but well it's... yeah and 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 also the, what i would run into early on taking custom stuff if it was something i'd never made before i'd almost give it away like i wouldn't charge hardly anything just as long as i could break even so I could take pictures of it. Yeah. So I could say, hey, look what I can make. You guys want to order one of these? Yeah. And in hindsight, that was a terrible idea. Yeah. But but at the same time, it was an investment in myself to create an offering. Because that's yeah. kind of one of those double standards also. Yeah. And, and it's a learning experience as well. Like, I remember I made a product... And I made it, like, I made it literally, he showed me a photo of it, and it literally matched it. It was, but man, I did not break even on it, you know, I, <laughs> like. Oh, I've got one of those projects in my shop right now. Yeah. A gentleman bring me a bag. Yeah. He's a, he's big into hunting, and yeah. he, like, he's, like, African hunter. He's a doctor, and he's, he goes and takes these, like, goes to Africa and goes on the safari hunts and he has this very specific bag that he liked. Yeah. It's all nylon and he wanted a leather one and he handed it to me. He's like, Hey, can you make this same bag button leather? I was like, sure. I've worked on it. I worked on it so long. I finally finished it a month yeah. or two ago and <laughs> I will not make money on that whatsoever. Yeah. As much was I spent working on it and like oh. redoing the patterns and yeah, oh, and it, it's so stressful. Like I get, I get so because I, I, I'm the type of person where I want to get it done, and it's yeah. the, the stress of not getting it done. And when you're making something custom, it's yeah. But whereas with the pattern, you know, you, with the tote bags, with your wallets or whatever, you have the pattern, you pull it out, and boom, there you go. Right. It's, and, and a lot of times those things are easy to to uh, manipulate into different form yeah. or, you know, to adjust those patterns. Yeah. But when it's something completely new, it's just throws everything. Yeah. It's like a, it throws a spanner in the works. <laughs> so next one is, so you don't, you don't do this full time. What do you do as your, because that's, that's just respect there. Like you, man, you must be <laughs> drinking the coffee or something. <laughs> Lots of coffee, not nearly enough sleep. Yeah. Uh, time time management's everything, yeah. and I, I'm always I'm always preaching that to people. Say like you got to get your time management, and 
I don't even have it down. Like my time management on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to say is like a six and a half. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not bad, but I'm not great at it either. But yeah, I, I mean, it's all time management and scheduling and just staying on top of myself. And uh, I've been doing it like that long enough now that that routine is kind of like permanent, permanently implanted in my head. Like when I don't have work to do in the shop, I go stir crazy. Yeah. Does, does that, does it, is that a good slang? Um, yeah, I, I get busy, right? So if I sit on the couch, I'm like, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do? Like I've got to a point where I, I can't sit down for very long, like two or three nights in a row, just lounging on the couch after dinner and watching TV. Like I kind of go, it bothers me doing that. Yeah. Uh, I always shut the shop down about a week or two before Christmas. And I stay out of the shop till January. And this time of the year, like right now, is always the hardest for me because I've been out so long that my routine starts drifting away. Yeah. And then I slowly start being okay with sitting on the couch and, and like napping. and. Yeah. But the time management for me is, I mean, it's... And mostly, if I can put in anywhere from two to four hours a night, I can stay caught up yeah. and I can get done. And if I can do that Monday through Friday, I stay caught up enough that I don't have to work on the weekends. Yeah. So weekend weekends can be family time. Yeah. Now that, that doesn't mean that there aren't weekends that I'm out there working, but I try if I have to work on the weekend to include my son or my wife yeah. and my son too. If he, if I'm working and he wants to come quote unquote help, I let him do it. Yeah. You know, if he takes interest in what I'm doing, I make sure he does it. And, and that's just part of it. I mean, that's the trade off now. And it's kind of becoming restrictive my time because I'm, I'm kind of at a point where, um, I can't grow much more Yeah. With, without having more time to do it. Yeah. So I've, I've got a, a a couple different options that I can help with that. And then we're kind of going to see how this year plays out a little bit the next few months to see if they're, they'll be worth considering or not. But yeah, but yeah I kind of, I, I kind of really went off from the question of what I, what I, my day job. Um, I work for a company that we sell water pumps. Yeah. Um, uh, they're like large industrial scale water pumps or okay. reciprocating pumps. And it's, it's an oil and gas company really is what we are. Yeah. But it's a uh, water pumps for oil and gas production to something along the lines of doing that. So yeah. a lot of people think I'm loaded because when they ask where I, when I say loaded, like have a lot of money. Yeah. And when they ask me like, well, what do you do for your full-time job? It's, oh, you're in the old business. You must be rich, you know, or you must have a bunch of money. I was like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not that kind of old. Yeah. I'm not that kind of old job, but, um, I do, I wear a lot of hats. We're a really small family company. Um, I basically accounting and sales and anything else that's needed. So I keep yeah. the books for us. We do accounts payable and accounts 
receivables and like I said, sales, handle phone sales and a lot of a lot yeah. of really riveting things. <laughs> well that's a good thing so, that you you can have a lot of skills that transfers to leathercraft because it's not just making leather, it's also marketing, selling, yeah. talking. So that's it's good. Yeah. Yeah, there's some crossover there, but I mean, it's it's been a really good job, and and that's the problem. A lot of people say, well, when are you going to go full time in leather? And I say, well, you know, I like my day job. I mean, I like mostly what I like about it is that I know what my paycheck's going to be every week. Yeah, and I know that it's going to be here next week, mm-hmm. and then the week after that, uh, the uncertainty of like doing leather full time. And working for myself full time, it it just makes me. I don't think I'm brave enough to make the, the jump. Yeah. To do that, because yeah. I mean, what happens when a catastrophe comes up? What happens when COVID breaks out? Mm. <laughs> you know, like what would have happened if I'd have decided to go full time? You know, before COVID and things tanked. You know, there are yeah. so many variables there. So. Yeah. For the, for the foreseeable future, I don't see myself going full time. Yeah. Not any time soon. But what I do think I can do is find a, a kid in high school that wants to make a little money on a part-time job and they come work for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's kind of what we're going to try to do. Hope Maybe this year, maybe wait till the summer. And like I said, we're going to kind of see how this year goes to see if that's something I can justify doing. And, yeah. And that's very exciting to me, right? Like, like I love the idea of being able to create a job for someone else, yeah. whether it's, I know. you know, whether it's six hours a week or 20 hours a week, you know, depending on what I've got going on. So, mm-hmm. but that's really all I can do now if I want to grow anymore from where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess with that shout out, you're gonna you are you getting more busy? Well, not really. Um, I've got a lot more engagement. Yeah. On, on social media, I haven't got any orders or anything like that. But that again, to that's to be said. Like I don't do custom work, so if somebody sees it and say, "Ooh, I want something like this or that," if it's not something I'm I'm making regularly for my inventory items like the totes or the shave bags or some of those accessory items that I make. It's not something I'm just going to say, yeah, well, I'll make yeah. this for you and can do it like this or that. Yeah. I, I do, I do try to keep some items in, in stock that I can keep on my website, like the totes, the shave bag, some nicer keychains and smaller items, the coasters, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's one of those things. It's just the the, the uncertainty and um, yeah, it's yeah. There's there's so much things to to consider as well before you make that leap. Yeah. Although, because yeah, your um your website's solid and <clears throat> you got your live stream videos and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, to, to be honest, like. My website doesn't, I really don't sell a lot of stuff online yeah. through my website. Um, I'll have a lot of people see what I do on my website and say, oh, I like this, but 
can you do it this way or that way? And that's when I say, well, I'm not taking on custom work. So yeah. I probably lose a lot of work from not accepting custom stuff. Yeah. But again, that's time invested to it. Yeah. So I can keep like the keychains and our private label stuff. We can, I stay pretty busy with that. Yeah. The, the two or three people I work for doing that, they, they're pretty consistent on ordering. Yeah. And yeah. I can keep the tote bags. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I do, I do like your tote bags. What, what sort of like leather do you use for them? Cause it's, I like that green, that, that emerald. I like green. It's gorgeous, right? Yeah. I've had those for so long. I don't know why nobody's bought them. They're gorgeous. <laughs> I love them. I think, I think it takes a very specific lady to want a very bright green bag, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, no, my, the leather I use on those totes, uh, a majority of them I get from Acadia leather. Okay. They're, I think they're in Maine. Yeah. In, in the Northeast here in the U.S. And uh, they've got some really beautiful, like, I guess they're chrome tan, retans. Yeah. Finished out leathers that got really, really pretty pull up to them. Yeah, they make bags, they've got a good temper, and their pricing's great. And they ship for free, which is a plus. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of those companies ship for free, and it's like all in America. Like when you buy them from overseas, it's like you have to pay the postage. Oh, I know, man. I'm so I, I can't imagine it's got a I just can't. Im- I mean, I I complain about some shipping that I've got to pay here. I can't imagine international. Yeah, it's uh, but the usually if I go through like a like a carrier, like I try not go through like the postal service because then it gets it's a lot more sure. longer. But like an ind- an independent carrier, they have their own planes, their own couriers. It just gets to you so much quicker. Uh, DHL are they big in Australia? Yeah, I, yeah, I go through DHL. Yeah, I, just, I hear a lot of people talk about them saying they're they're a good one to use if you can use them. Yeah. Even. Yeah. Uh, but I also started using that the last tote that I did. I used some Wicked and Craig. It was a traditional harness. Yeah. And man, it was it was really great stuff. I'm I'm gonna try to start using a lot more of that. Um, just it was beautiful. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite uh, bridle but the harness was, yeah was nice yeah the, the shine to it <laughs> yeah otherwise there's fedex as well dhl fedex i know some i think eweaver uses fedex one of the companies that i'm getting is using fedex it's either dhl or them but yes for some reason the stuff from america is always more expensive from england like england's pretty good but america's always i think it's just the additional taxes that they put on when you get an import like brought in, sure. And um, yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> if you could go back to when you first started, I guess what advice? Or I guess I'll mold these ones together actually. Okay. So if you were first starting out, like you used, like you start like with the experience that you have, what would you? What advice would you give to yourself, I guess, or someone, or like a tip, or a beginner? Yeah, sort of mold them into one. Well, yeah, that's that's a question. Uh, 
I asked uh, when I was doing those blogs, like if you could go back, what would you like? What yeah, would you tell yourself? That's where I got it. That's where I got it from. Oh really? <laughs> okay. Well, well, that's not good because I should, me having asked that, I should know, right? Um, if I if I could go back, I would tell myself to find another leather worker as quick as I could to ask questions to. Yeah. You know, like actually go to someone's shop and put hands on things. Um, like tools and things like that. You don't have to spend a lot of money on them, but also it helps if you can. Yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of tools that they're going to make you think you need, but you may never ever use. Mm -hmm. And I, I fell victim to that a lot early on is I bought a bunch of these tools that I saw in all these videos that I thought I needed. Yeah. And I still haven't used them very much. Yeah. But then also, like, cheap tools, if they do the job, they're not bad. You know, if, if you know how to use a tool, it, it can get the job done. Like, like bevelers, you can spend $15 on a beveler at Tandy. Or you can spend a hundred dollars on a beveler from Ron's tools, mm -hmm. and they're essentially going to do the same thing. And it kind of comes down to your skill on how well are you going to finish those edges when you bevel them. You yeah. know, burnishing edges. Yeah, I, I, and and again, like I'm I'm no authority on that because my I think I make a solid leather product. But I'm not making high end yeah. leather either. So Yeah. I think I would that would be a good piece of advice to tell myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, it's quite interesting because I spoke spoke about this sort of similar with Chuck where like the like you get your main tools and sort of like the other tools you get are more like specific tools that you only use for like one or two things. But yeah, and plus also you also pick up like little tips as well like little hacks that you can use to, you know, do corners and all that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. I, well, and it's kind of like the old saying goes, if I could go back and do it all again, I'd do it all the same. Yeah. You know, kind of the, it's like the romantic idea of it, right? Is the, the truth is, I mean, most of the things we learn, we learn from our mistakes. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Right. So, whether it's tooling or your process or your technique, like the only way to get better at it is to do it. Yeah. You have somebody come and sit down and show you, like with your wallets, if somebody sat down and showed you every single step how to do them, this is how, this is the pattern you cut out. This is how you stitch it, everything. Sure, you're going to learn that, but is it your wallet then? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point because like, yeah, I never thought <clears throat> of it like that because I think of it like, oh, put me back 2018, Bournemouth, smash it out, got the leather on, <laughs> got the skills. Yeah. But yeah, that, it's, well, it's true because you wouldn't, you wouldn't got where you are without those failures yeah i mean and, and you know that's another crazy thing too we were talking about social media 
and and like the how-to videos and stuff that were available on YouTube when I started out, there wasn't a lot. But you get on there now, like, man, if there was a, as much information available in 2012 when I started as there is today, I would be so much further ahead from where I am now, right? It, it's like that staggered yeah. timeline. Yeah. I mean, people starting out now, I mean, there's a ton. There is a ton of information out there that you can find. Not only is there a ton of free information, there is a lot of paid information. Like, there are so many people offering classes, yeah, like paid online classes and things like that. that I mean, that wasn't even really available. Or if it was, I didn't know where to find it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a very good point. Um, it's it's kind of like those silly the silly memes you see on Facebook floating around or all over. It's like support a craftsman when you when you buy a product from a craftsman, you're not just buying that product, you're buying ten years of experience and failures and you know it's yeah, silly when we read that 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 yeah. <laughs> did you get that from my one of my Instagram posts? I actually made I actually made something like that. Um, where is it? I'll read it out for you. It's it's pretty cheesy, but it, it's true though. It's cheesy, but it is true. It, it's true. No, I'm not knocking it. And I I just say it's cheesy because I've seen it so often and applied yeah. in so many different places. Yeah. But there's truth to it. Well, I'll, I'll read you mine. Literally, like what you said, it just like sums up like mine in a nutshell. So okay. it says. When you buy an item that has been handcrafted, you're buying more than just a product. You're buying a design that has been perfected after hundreds of hours of failures and experimentation. You are buying days, weeks, and months of setbacks, frustration, and moments of joy. You're buying something where every step requires full concentration. Most importantly, you're buying the artists more time to do something they're passionate about. That was in 2018. 25 likes on it. (laughs) <laughs> it's so true though I mean it is I mean if, if if someone showed me the cookie cutter pattern of how to do it when I started then like most of the things that I'm custom work I've made wouldn't have been my work now that being said the keychains I make are literally cookie cutter patterned <laughs> you know cutting die things so there, there's not a lot of originality. I mean, a monkey could probably do most of those, mm-hmm. that stuff, right? But that's more, that part of it's turned into business and and income versus, like, the totes and things like that. Yeah. But, I mean, even then, like, there's so many variables in all of it, right? Like, yeah. I didn't invent the tote bag. There are only so many ways to make the style of tote bag that I make. Yeah. I'm absolutely not the first person to make that. I didn't invent it. If I had invented it, I would have a shop on the Champs d'Elysees in and, Paris. And you'd have right? like a hundred lawsuits that you'd be filing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But it, it kind of riding on the shoulders of giants. Isn't that how it goes? Yeah, standing, sitting, I don't know what it is, yeah. But... Stand, standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like, I'm not innovative enough to come up with a totally unique 
game-changing design. So someone someone has done that before me, but I can put my spin on those items to, to make them mine. And and that's what I like yeah. about the the emerald green. green that it's it's such a unique. I don't know why. Why is not anyone buying that? I saw it. I was like, man, that's nice. I, I like it. And, and I'll be honest, my prices aren't bad. Like I think yeah. that may sometimes I I think in consumers' brains, if the deal looks too cheap or too good to be true, they think that it is too good to be true. Yeah, right? it's, it's it's a weird it's a weird phenomenon. Like there must be some psychology behind it because. <laughs> Because they're really not expensive, and they're great bags. The first tote I ever made, I gave to my wife, and that would have been in 2015. Mm-hmm. And she carries it every single day. Yeah. That's and it's awesome. great. It, it hadn't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's got a great patina on it. Yeah. And she's a, she's a teacher. My wife teaches uh, fifth grade, or fourth grade, and... I don't know how teachers are in Australia or if you know any teachers or like young age teachers, but they, there are so many folders and books like, yeah. like she uses the bag. Like it's yeah. heavy. It's heavy for me. Yeah. I mean, they're quality bags and like, I know what I have in them and I know my time and I don't feel like I have to charge an absurd amount of money for them. And I think that probably really does drive people away. They think that it's not priced high enough. Because I can see a similar bag made. It could be identical with different brands that are asking twice the price. But that comes in with their branding and the time they have put into their branding and their growth. Like, I I understand it. Yeah. But I don't understand why nobody's bought the green bags. Yeah, the the green bags. Because the tote bags, they're they're just handy. They're just bucket bags where you can just, like, chuck everything into them. Oh, they're bare bones. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. They're easy to make. There are a million videos on how to do them, but I mean, they're handy. They're usable, and that's the thing with me. Like, they're a usable bag. Yeah. And the reason the reason I haven't really gone beyond that style or like trying to change them up too much is it's one piece of leather. Yeah. I could probably be making a little bit more money. And saving leather, if I were cutting out 10 different pieces, yeah. stitching together to make the bag, right? Because you can get more of a yield out of a side of leather by doing it like that. Yeah. Minimum, I can get two totes out of a side of leather. Sometimes I can get three. Sometimes. Not very yeah. often. It's got to be a pretty big side. Yeah. So I have a lot of waste that comes from a side of leather doing those totes. But with that one piece of leather... For the body of the bag, you only essentially have your weakest points are the stitch lines, and that runs on the sides of the bag. Yeah, is it, is is it made? In, it's, it's sort of like you go straight, and then there's like a down, and it goes up, and it goes straight like that, and then you fold it. Is that how? You yeah, do it? it's basically a rectangle with notches out of the middle yeah. on either side, and just the corner stitch and those stitches straight up the side. And the way I look at it is those stitches are probably never going to fail because there's not pressure being pushed on, on your stitching, right? Like it's all going to be on the base of the bag and the handles. And, yeah. And the handles. And, and I'm glad you said that. Cause like the handles on the totes I do, I don't stitch them on. I always use the copper rivets. Yeah. I like the solid. That. Rivets. 
because when I sell a tote bag, I warrant the straps for the life of the bag. Yeah. I do a free replacement. Yeah. So if, if I tell my customers, if your dog chews off the handle, I'll replace your handles. Well, okay. If you happen to catch it on a corner and you're pulling strong enough that you rip one, I'll replace them because I can get a Dremel and Dremel those rivets out of there and replace them really quick yeah. versus stitching them on and trying to replace that, the, the handle and stitching back through the same holes. Yeah, that's you know, point. it's, I mean, it, I say it's bare minimum, but it's. Do, do you, do you have a, a bell skyver that you roll those, the top edges over? No, that's all hand, man. You do it by hand? <laughs> no bell <Wow. laughs> Yeah. So, so like. But I don't, when I roll those, I don't always have to scarve. Yeah. Depending, depending on how thick it is. Yeah. Because those leathers I use from Acadia, depending on which which style I use, um, determines the weight of the of, of the leather I get. Yeah. Because they're they're all pretty rigid. They they all have a pretty good temper to them where they'll stand up on their own. Yeah. So I can get a lighter a lighter weight, like a five ounce or so. Seems to be a really good weight for them. And a lot of time, the temper I can. I can roll those edges and glue them and they'll yeah. stay stout enough that I can sew it. But yeah. some of them will, uh, some of them I do need to go through and skive down. And yeah. I'll just use the, the hand skiver to do that. Yeah. Very do, carefully. <laughs> do you have to have a different weight for the handles as opposed to the body of the bag? Or can you just use the same? Um, I've done the same. I prefer using, um, on almost all the totes that I do, I'll do a 10, 11 ounce yeah. vegetable tan. Yeah. And if I ever use the same leather the bag's made out of, I'll always double up. And sometimes, I, depending on how what the ounce is, I'll do three layers and then sew. But I don't do that very often because I really like the contrast and color yeah, of the that's vegetable fun straps on the on the bags yeah i'm trying to find that where is it and the, the my big selling point on the the handles is the veg tan's gonna patina and wear in the yeah. more you use them and just get a beautiful color to them yeah i like them yeah the uh no, the green tote somebody buy the green totes <laughs> yeah they're, they're very well done um Yeah, so what's been your most popular items then? You know, it's it's changed uh, yeah. over the past three or four years. Um, the first year I kind of started and really started making the like inventory product, the stock that's available to buy. Yeah. Um, the totes were really popular in the beginning. And then uh, the shave bags, when I started making the shave bags, the dot kits, they, they flew off the shelf like crazy. <laughs> Um, especially here locally. Yeah. At, at Christmas, I couldn't make enough. There, there were years where I couldn't make enough. I would sell out, and then 
I think I overextended my presence here locally because the last Christmas, I don't think I sold but maybe one or two of the shave bags. Yeah. Uh, I still have quite a few of those on the shelf, but the totes, the totes have stayed consistently popular. Yeah. Um, the ladies really like them and we do well with those here locally and we ship quite a few of those. I shipped one to uh, Colorado yesterday, the Wicked and Craig bag. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I like the, the contrast you have on the the dot kit. Like and again, it. I can't take credit for that because somebody, you know, plenty of people did that well before I started doing that, like the veg tan over the top on the zipper. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I like the, um, yeah, the, the veg tan and then the, the, like the contrast between the two colors. It's nice. Yeah. And I, I like doing that. Like, I really like those finished out leathers, but I, I love veg tan. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah. Hands down, it's my favorite. Yeah. So if I incorporate that any way I possibly can, I always do. Um, so that's not that's the, not a chrome tan that you're using for the body, the main part? Which one is it? The shave bags? No, yeah, I, 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 I guess it's a chrome tan. The, the stuff from Acadia, it's a re-tan, yeah. finished oh, chrome tan. Yeah. I like the, uh, the Texas flag in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um hobbies outside oh do you want to answer tips for beginners or for beginners you know what ask questions yeah if you're on social media and somebody's got a style that you want to to learn ask questions yeah and I never, I never turn down a question. If it's something that I don't know, I'll tell somebody or I'll give them a friend of mine that I know and say, go ask them. Yeah. Like, don't, don't be hesitant to help. Yeah. If you help and don't be afraid to ask questions. Cause the worst thing I can say is no, I don't know. Or here's a friend that can probably help you better than me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I've been sort of blown away by the, the, the sort of how easy it is to talk to leather crafters. Like I sort of I thought that people were more like keep everything secret, like what they use. Yeah. But now I've been, yeah, it's 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 great to talk to some. I'll I'll also say a tidbit of information for someone beginning. Do some research on your own before you ask all those questions, mm -hmm. right? So <laughs> there are a bunch of groups on Facebook. There are a ton of groups. There are yeah. still forums. There are still a lot of forums that are going on. Yeah. And using that search function because on a forum or those Facebook groups by now, any question you can think of has been asked. Yeah. Some of those people, they get so upset when you ask some of those silly questions. Mm. So save yourself, not embarrassment, but getting yourself getting upset from other people getting upset and search. And you got to, you got to put time in yourself. Yeah. You can't just expect it all to be handed to you. And that's hard. That's hard for people now, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're such a mentality now that, well, I want to get from point A to point B immediately. Yeah. But there, there is no point A to point B anymore. If you want to get good at something, it's point A to point Z. <laughs> you got to hit all those steps in between and you got to put the time in to learn it. Yeah. And I'll be honest, there are things that 
I've given up on because I didn't didn't want to put the time in or didn't have the time to do it. Yeah. That I had to choose one direction or the other. And that's a valuing your time. If you don't have the time to invest, then yeah. you need to focus you, on something. Yeah, that's true. Because you can only do so much with information. Like you have to, sometimes you just have to learn from your failures, fake failures. Like, well, man, on, like, on that. I was going to say, like, on, when I started out, it was like failure, 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 failure. Try this, didn't work. And you sort uh, of work your way. Oh, we, we all have our box of, of products that no one in the world's allowed to see except for us. You know, I'm sure you have one of them. I mean, I do. I've got my box of things that I made and I said, nope. <laughs> no eyes of the world will see this product ever. Well, I, but I you, don't, you don't throw them out. You keep them because you know you're going to want to look at it and see yeah. what you could have done different to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, I got the like my first million my first minimalist wallets that I made and yeah, it's good when you, cause I was actually looking back like on my Instagram like two years ago and it's like, you see those little joy moments when you, when you starting out and you sort of hit like a, you hit like a little milestone and, it, and sort of when you get more experience, you don't have those experiences as much cause you sort of, um, well, I think that when with me, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, it becomes repetitive yeah, and you sort of oh, like, I made a mistake. You don't, Got to read you don't have those. You're not reaching those accolades. Yeah, and you'll. I think that that's why I still try to take some custom orders here and here and there. And mm-hmm. having been able to be selective on those custom orders, it's allowed me to take to make new things to challenge yeah. myself. Because I think that's what we're all really after, right? Is we want to chase that challenge to see, well, can I do it? Mm-hmm. Can I get that? It's it's like the video game, right? Like, can I get the high score? Yeah. Can I can I can I do better than my last piece? Yeah. But but yeah, that's every few months I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll sit on my Instagram and scroll through, right, and like go back to the beginning and watch my progress. Yeah. And, I kind of kind of surprised myself like man some of that stuff was really bad <laughs> there there are a lot of items out there that people paid really good money for that I wish I wouldn't have put my maker stamp on because wow. I don't want anyone to see that I made them yeah well actually going back to that point you raised about going from point A to point B but you have to go to point A to Z one I think one thing you get discouraged by I know for me like you assume like you assume you're going to go viral if you post this or something like that and it's sort of the fact you don't go viral straight up doesn't mean you have to quit you know it's i think we've lost that um patience because i think because we live in a faster world like you know that patience is hard to to oh absolutely it it is hard because the world we're all so fast-paced now right yeah it's we want it. We want it now. Yeah. We want to, we want to order it online, but we want to order it Amazon Prime, so we'll have it in two days instead of five days. Yeah. Like, I I I want to go to the store and you don't have it in stock. Well, I want it right now. Yeah. We we've, we've been conditioned to to understand that. Like, I want this, so I'm going to get it right now, and I'm going to have it right now. 
and we don't want to invest the time to get it. And it's, yeah. it's work. It's just work. We don't want to put the work in for it. It's hard. People don't want to do hard things. And that doesn't mean it has to be physically tolling on us. And like, it doesn't mean you're going to have to break a sweat to get it, but it's just the mental work and the physical yeah. work and everything associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know with me myself, when I like look on people's Instagram and you, and you think, well, like these people have like such a solid, they have all these products. And I think there was a point, I think it was last week and I just had to just tune out. It's like, you can't judge yourself from, you know, these people doing it longer. They've, they've put in the time and you sort of, you just have to focus on yourself, if that makes sense. Like, not judge yourself. Oh, it's so hard to... It's so hard not to judge yourself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, oh. And and you, you start to not trust people, right? It's like, you make something and you see all your flaws and then someone else sees it like, wow, that's all. Trust you. <laughs> You're yeah. just telling me to make me feel good. Yeah. Um. Well, then that leads me to the next one. So, what items are you inspired by? Like, sort of, I guess, yeah, just this, like, style-wise. Um, um, I'm, I'm really inspired or influenced by. I really, really appreciate like Western, like traditional Western art and yeah. work. Yeah. There, there's a group here called the TCAA. It's the Traditional Cowboy Artist Association. Is that on Facebook? Uh, yeah, they're on Facebook. They'll be on Instagram. They're, they're, it's a very elite group of individuals. And they're the best of the best of the best. Um, I think it's it's four or five categories: saddle makers, bit and spur makers, silversmith, and rawhide braiders and leatherwork. And it's just these guys that do this museum quality work, and the work they do is it's just astonishing. It's incredible work, and it. I find it as a great influence. It doesn't reflect a lot in my own personal work, but it does give me something to look at, to strive to get to eventually, if that yeah. makes sense. So it's TCAA Cowboy Arts? Yeah. Yeah. The I'm looking at this Traditional stuff. Cowboy Artists Association. And it, it is. I mean, it's just incredible work. And yeah, yeah that's them. Yeah, and they're they're very influential. Um, and like I said, you, you don't see that influence on any of my work just because that's not the direction I've gone. But I've, in this little journey, I've grown to appreciate artists out there that are making things that are just incredible. Yeah. And it, it kind of, it may not be where I want to go, but it gives me an idea of where an individual can get after putting in the work to get there. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was some of that. That was some nice leather work. Very Western. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's it's very, it's, yeah. it's all cow. It's yeah. straight up cowboy work, but yeah. um, 
it's great work. And there, I mean, there are a ton of people out there that I follow and that I watch and, and mm-hmm. see how they do, do their work, whether it's their business models or how they manage their time or the product they make and, and how they represent it. So there's a ton of it out there and just so many to name. Yeah. Yeah. But those guys, they're tops. <laughs> um, cause on your Instagram, you do the live stream videos. See, do you, you like them? You, you, you're not, you're not afraid of getting in front of the camera and. Oh no, it doesn't bother me. Um, no. And I always joke because I'm out there working at night, right. By myself. And there's only so many podcasts I can listen to and only so yeah. many, so much music and I really kind of get lonely. So if I'm talking to the live feed on my phone, I'm not talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think we talked about this earlier. Yeah. Like when, when you have a presence and you're yourself and you know that it's a real human being there and they're doing the work or whether it's them having to pause a video to go get their son a juice out of the refrigerator or something like it's real life. Like it's real people. And I connect with that a lot. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I don't want to hide anything. I could have, you know, fancy lighting and, and you know, a, a, a script to talk about, but I mean, that's not me. I, I'd rather get on there and talk with people that want to hear me talk and answer yeah. questions and engage with people. Yeah. So it doesn't bother me too much and it gives me a way to create content sort yeah. of and let yeah. people know that I'm still working on stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get the, I've never, I've never done a Instagram live before. So when you have your phone set up, you actually get like the comments, like the live comments pop up as you, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got the, you, you do the forward facing camera. Yeah. And so at the bottom, if somebody likes it or comments, you can see it. Oh, okay. So you can, you can answer it or you can type back to them. And yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's an interactive, it yeah. makes it interactive with people. And, you know, half the people that follow me, if not more are other leather workers. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the same way on Instagram. More than half the people I follow are leather makers also. Yeah. So a lot of times it'll be a question be like, Hey, what kind of sewing machine is that in the background? Or, you know, what, what tool is that you're using or what kind of leather you use tonight? Stuff like that. So, and and I'm fine with that. Like I like interacting with those, those other makers also. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's great. Cause, um, the, I forget there's people starting out. Like, uh, for some reason, you get locked in your own journey, and you forget that people are people are starting out like this month or today, and yeah, it's yeah, everybody's on their own path. Yeah, and even this, I mean, it's like when you're coming up in school, like in grade school, like there are no stupid questions. Yeah. So I mean, don't be afraid to ask it. Yeah. Most of the time, it's going to be a simple question to be answered, and I I'll tell you. Yeah. What's the, what's the most people you've ever had on a night? Oh, what's that on a live feed? Yeah. Well, not not. It's generally not very many. Okay. I think maybe max fifteen or twenty people. Yeah. I saw your your recent one. I don't think it wasn't live. It was the introduction for new people who have followed you. 
Oh, the other night? Yeah, well, because that was probably one of my better nights because there were so many new <laughs> new followers on there. So I kind of wanted to be like, hey, this is me. This yeah. is who Parker was talking about. Yeah. So your hobby, hobbies outside of Leathercraft? Man, I don't have a lot of them. Uh, no? <laughs> I, do, I do like to get in the outdoors. And um, I used to do a lot of hunting and fishing, but... Um, that can be difficult at times and just time yeah. and scheduling and things like that. So yeah, I, I do like shooting sports. Yeah. I enjoy shooting sports a lot, but same thing. It's just making time to do it. And I mean, for the most part, leather's my hobby still, even though it's a job. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the biggest would be cooking. Okay. I do. I do most all the cooking in our home. So yeah. I really enjoy cooking and yes, I've seen a couple that. of your, your photos on the barbecue. Like you posted yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I like the I like smoking some meats, throwing some barbecue on, and when I have time, because I mean that's that's time consuming in itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you had a you had a, a story. It was like, can you smell this picture? It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a couple two three weeks ago. Yeah, marathon cook. Um. So you did a, you did a bit of in, so this has got yeah you did a bit of interviews. Do you reckon you'll get back into them? I'd like to, you know, I really enjoyed doing that. Um, it was fun. I had a bunch of people slated, bunch of people that I wanted to interview, and I think I don't know. I enjoyed doing them, but I feel like that. Um, uh, what's the word? the written blogs really not the way of the yeah. world now. Like this, the podcast is video interviews and stuff, or it's a lot more effective for people. So, I mean, I, I was doing the interviews because it was interesting to me and it was a fun way for me to share other people. But yeah. I know, I mean, it doesn't get the traction quite like a live interview or a podcast or something like that. It, mm-hmm. It's what well, it makes it more intimate, you know, when you, are able to hear someone talking rather than reading it. Yeah, yeah. It was fine. I did. I've got some other ideas for some little articles I'd like to write up, but I just haven't had time, and it keeps getting sidelined. So yeah, not sure if or when I'll get to those. So many hours in a day. Yeah, man, not enough. <laughs> uh, this probably be the last one. Um, so yeah, so what's your? I got this from your your pod your interview as well. Okay. So your opinion on the like maker movement, and I sort of added to it. So the competition is it hard in America? Because I guess I guess we're we're sort of worldwide, but in America that there's yeah, I imagine the competition. Well, I think I think that there are people interested in making things. But I also think there have always been a lot of people doing this. Yeah. I think the advent of social media has given everyone an outlet to see into that. Yeah. And most of those people that were doing it before saw social media as an outlet to showcase their work as a sales, a way to make sales. And in doing so, they've created a community that kind of surrounded it. So... I don't. I mean, I don't really know how to how you'd run those numbers to know for sure. But I I do think that there've always been a lot of people. 
I don't think it's a dying art. Leather's not a dying art. I've, I hear that all the time from yeah. people. And I say, no, it's not. I mean, there are a ton of people out there. There are a ton of people on Instagram doing it. You can assume that there are also a ton of people that aren't on Instagram doing it. Yeah. So to speak to that, I, I do think there are a lot of people that have gotten interested in it. And I think they've gotten interested in it because they've seen it through social media and seen what can be done and made and that the resources are available to them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it, it'd really be hard to know for sure one way or the other, but I think it has had a big influence on it. And as far as uh, selling and competing with others, I think that there's enough market share out there for everybody. You know, I think it, it, it all depends on the work you want to put into it and marketing yourself online and locally going to shows. And it's all a lot to do with the effort you put into it. Yeah. Um, anywhere here, there's going to be some sort of a show or a market to go to that you can participate in. And, you know, how much effort are you going to put into it to get it out there and really put your product out there? Cause there are, I mean, there, there are thousands of people doing probably the exact same thing I am. Yeah. But, you know, there's enough people out there that want leather products to keep, keep us busy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's actually, that's a really good point because I had a thought the other day where I was like, if I was selling a wallet for $70, that's not us, <laughs> that's Australian. But I was like, if you, if I sold 7,000 of them, and there's 6 billion people in the world, so if I just sold, where's my calculator? 70 times 7,000. Wait. That's 490,000 dollars right there. So, yeah, I, I guess the pool is... Yeah, you just need to find 7,000 people, and there you go. It's out there. People are out there, and yeah, sometimes it can be can can make you feel like you're you don't have a presence, but and and you just seem like you're flooded with people doing the same thing that you are. But the truth is, I mean, there are enough people out there that you can do it. You shouldn't get down on yourself. If anything, you should just use that as a motivation to keep on and yeah. improve work and and compete. If you feel like you're having to compete with somebody else. It's out there. I mean, we all have ups and downs. I have good months and I have bad months. Yeah. I have good years and I have bad years. Yeah. But that's just the way it is. Yeah. But people people appreciate fine handmade items. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that just don't care. We, we just got to, I think, and, and we talked about this earlier, like, it's our job to educate our customers and our potential customers on why what we make is better than a retail store yeah. or, uh, you know, some random factory manufactured item. Yeah. And there are enough people that appreciate that that are willing to spend the money on a handmade item that I don't think we have too much to worry about. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, I, again, no, um, nah, that means yes, no, I, I completely, I completely, yeah, I completely agree with you, and that was, yeah, that was, that was good then, actually, I might ask you one more question, actually, because I had a thought, so, 
you know how you 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 manufacture for another company? Do you think that that would be the way forward of manufacturing? Because instead of hiring like a massive plant, so to speak, warehouse where you're leasing, you're paying electricity, someone can have like a clicker press in their shed and pump out the work for you. Yeah, what's your opinion on that? I thought I would ask. Uh, I don't know. I think it depends. I, I think it depends on the, the whoever's buying that product. Yeah. Right? Like I think if an individual can do it and do it in a, I don't want to say affordable, but a competitive fashion, because I can compete by saying these are handmade in my shop. I touch every single item. Um, I use leather that's tanned and sourced in the U.S. And you're you're buying a product to sell in Texas from a Texas maker who's making it. You know, it, it, I think it comes down to a lot with the, how you market your item as yeah. far as that goes. I mean, I'm sure there's some company in China that can do the exact same thing I'm doing for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. But my customer appreciates the quality that I can put out because on their end, they can turn around and market it as handmade item as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the potential's there. I mean, there's always going to be somebody bigger that can do more for less. And, but at the same time, market shares out there for them as well. Like their customers aren't my customers. Yeah. That's a good Thanks for your time, Jesse. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, man. I, I 